0: Hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of the Anything But Typical podcast, and it is the first one for the year 2022, and we have just a really fun guest that I've known for 21 years, and we'll get into that, but um, he was an influencer before there was that term influencer, Um, and so we'll get into all of that and his really interesting story because um, His story is very different from everybody else that we've had so far, but Brian Koch is on the episode today, and here's the scenario, Brian. You and your wife, Jennifer, have your pedal kayak, and you are launching by the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland, Ohio, next to some of these 80-foot yachts, and yet you're in your pedal kayak, and you're going to be going and fishing while everybody else is wondering, are you crazy? What in the world are you doing? But people have seen you there before and somebody is talking about you and they don't realize that you can overhear everything that they're saying about you. What would you like somebody to be saying about you?
1: Well, first off, it's an honor to be the first guest of the new year. I think uh, everybody should be excited for 22. You know the double deuce. We got to love that. But um, <laughs> that question about what I want people or what I was thinking people uh, should be saying about me, and it, and and uh, because I do some strange stuff, you know the the the, the that's crazy is always kind of out there. But when I dig a little deeper than that, um, I think what I want people to think is or to say is that they change the way they think about and fill in the blank. If that's fishing, that's great. I mean, but it applies across multiple pieces of my life. Really. When I look at myself, what I want people to do is say, wow, Brian really changed the way I think about whether that's bird hunting, fishing, uh design you name it I I I think that that's for me that's kind of what it what it all boils down to um and and so I like on the on the fishing thing that you brought up when when people see us in that pedal kayak and we are trolling lines behind us on a pedal kayak and we're the only people on Lake Erie doing this you you the looks you get from the boats and you know we're, we're out there with a you know when it's high season and wildlife time, we're out there with when there's, you know, hundreds of boats around and, and we're just pedaling circles around these guys. You know, they're all, everybody's going two miles an hour. I mean, we can pedal about two and a half miles an hour. That's what most people troll at. That's what gave me the idea in the first place. I was like, OK, most of these guys out here are trolling about two miles per hour and we can pedal that fast. So why don't we why are we just to sit in a boat where we are bored all day? Let's we'll go pedal. But when you pedal around these guys, they look at you and they go, no, no, I'm not seeing that. Oh, they got fishing lines out. And then when you and then when you're dragging at a fish and I, I'm grabbing my net and trying to get that fish on board, then you really start getting looks you're like, oh, that's crazy. So I think that that's that's what I like about um, the stuff I do and the and 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 what I try and accomplish in multiple facets of my life is I, I like that idea of being a disruptor of ideas. Um, so that's kind of what I'm what, what I'm working on, I guess.
0: I love it. You are a disruptor, and in a good sort of way, man. Yeah, disruptor of ideas. I think
2: we're, we're going to be disrupting a whole lot of ideas of listeners today with this podcast. So that's, the, <laughs> that's the goal. Um, all right, so Brian is the founder of Ultimate Upland, which I will leave very vague and say is a brand around bird hunting. and We'll, we'll yeah. dive into, into this. And uh, prior to that, had a, a marketing and design firm. And uh, then Gary had mentioned having over 21 years of experience of knowing you Brian we're going to also dive into into your interactions with with him way back when as well
1: yeah I mean we, you know the, the old Gary stories are always hits I mean you know <laughs> I, I we've got him in spades and so we probably can't say on the podcast together because we don't know I mean you guys are both sitting in Charlotte and that's where our uh, the bulk of our history goes but you know we'll, we'll dance or we can fill in fake names right Gary
0: <laughs> absolutely <laughs> <laughs>
2: So, Brian, I, I want to start with with just asking you about how you got into bird hunting and how you grew a passion for that in general.
1: Yeah. Um, so, when you grew up in Ohio, small town Ohio specifically, very rural Ohio, hunting is part of your is part of your DNA. Basically, um, almost everybody I grew up with uh, in a farming community, uh, we were all. Uh, when we, when we were coming those kids, we learned how to hunt um, uh, as part of uh, as part of growing up. The first day of deer season in the state of Ohio in our small town, you, the school school's out. It was that's the same with,
2: same with our town in upstate New York. So I, yeah, I know what you're saying. I,
1: and I and I don't deer hunt anymore. But and and that's not where I started. Um, I started learning how to hunt with, on varmints and small game when I was probably I've talked to my dad about this because I can't remember the exact date, but. Uh, um, I think I started shooting and he taught me how to shoot when I was eight or nine. And, and for a lot of people, that's, you know, oh, my, you know, that's hard, hard to fathom. Um, but when you you grow up around guns like I did, my dad hunted his entire life, still hunts today. He's 83. Um, but uh, guns just become another tool that you learn how to use young um, and, 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 you know, safe use of those firearms. So, uh, but in Ohio, there's uh, in 1978, when the blizzard came through, basically it wiped out the bulk of upland birds in the state of Ohio. For those of you who don't know, it's a 100 year storm. Um, uh, there used to be quail, bobwhite quail, in all 88 counties of Ohio. And in 78, when that blizzard came along and it was below th- freezing for I think 30 days straight and we had three feet of snow that crusted over, it basically killed off every upland game bird in the entire state. Um, So bird hunting was never kind of uh, part of what I learned uh, uh, when I was growing up. That didn't really start until much later in life, although I'd went to preserves uh, with my dad when I was 13 and it was always amazing to me. Uh, where when you'd go to a, a, a preserve where essentially they they pin raised birds and they release them on the property and you hunt with dogs or you shoot, you know, it's a, it's it's not hunting in the way I define hunting now, um, but it's it's uh, uh shooting is what I would call it now or, or training. But um but I was fascinated by the fact that you could cooperatively work with a dog and hunt these birds, and then take that bird home and eat it for dinner. It, it, it boggled my mind. I was, and that was, that started when I was 13. And then kind of, I got out of the deer hunting. Um, although that I, I've deer hunted all my life and, and, and still occasionally somebody can convince me to, but the truth is I don't like to sit still. So as you probably know from having a deer hunting background, if you're one of those guys that doesn't like to sit still, you can pretty much call it it ain't gonna work for you most of most of uh deer hunting these days is somebody sitting in a tree stand waiting for the prey to come to them yeah and trying that's to stay not, awake yeah yeah that's not that's not me I, I gotta move and it drives people crazy that I that, that try and uh, convince me to 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 deer hunt with them nowadays it's like I, I can't sit still oh I, I want to follow the dogs I want this to be an active thing so yeah I, I guess it I, you know I, I've been hunting mine. But basically my entire life but the bird hunting thing didn't really kick off hardcore until i was in college and i took a few trips to kansas and started things started changing and the way you think about things change but yeah that's about that's kind of when it really kicked off
2: and so you've got so this oh, no you're good go gary
0: here's what i was thinking of doing <clears throat> you know when i first met brian so i think we what i'd like to do is i'd like to go back pre- ultimate upland yeah, yeah. <laughs> because his entrepreneurial journey is really fascinating so what we've heard so far is you grew up with hunting in ohio i had never been to ohio when i met you by the way um and um and also i was from kansas and you always talked about hunting in kansas yeah. and quail right <laughs> and pheasant um But I want to go back to when you and I first met, because you were not doing, yeah, you were hunting, but it wasn't a vocation, if you will. Uh, Tell the listeners what you were doing when we met, the scenario around that, et cetera, because I think that helps kind of set the stage a little bit more.
1: Yeah, so my background is in design and marketing. That's what I went to school for. Um, and when I first met Gary, he was working in a small agency in Charlotte and I was working for a big bank in Charlotte that was looking for some kind of design help to, um, uh, because we desperately needed it. Um, when you're sitting in a fortune 500 company, uh, with a bunch of stale leaders, the internal design mechanisms don't work the way an outsider can come in and go, Hey, here's a mind blowing idea. Let's do this. If you sit inside and you bring up those ideas, generally you're shunned and then you're on your way out pretty quickly after that. Part of my uh, existing problem. But <laughs> um, um, so when I met Gary, I was working at one of the big banks in Charlotte and, and their marketing department. And Gary was working for a small design firm. And uh, uh, our paths crossed. A couple of times, and I was in a couple of meetings with these guys, and always, um, you know, he would bring in, you know, super creative guys in these meetings, and we'd sit there and go, "Man, I can't say anything like that." I mean, Gary's able to talk with his with his, with his with this creative officer about ideas that we're not allowed to say internally, and I'm like, "Man, I want to. I can't believe these guys are getting away with this," and I'm sitting in here doing the grind. 24-7 so that's where I kind of met Gary was it was through that and then um our paths have crossed so many times and uh, across so many different places and you mentioned kind of Kansas but the the wild part was and kind of that next step on our journey as to um how it, it kind of progressed was I actually was hunting in Kansas um and I got a call from uh uh, the leader of the marketing organization at that time at the bank. Um, and apparently the week I decided to go on vacation in Kansas to hunt, they decided they were going to, um, basically disassemble the marketing department and I didn't have a job anymore. Um, and so I was in Kansas, I get this call the second day I'm out there and, uh, and you know, that was back when we had flip phones. I'm like, hello. And, uh, I've never talked to, you know, and, Never got a call from this individual ever personally before, and and I'm like, uh oh, this doesn't this doesn't look good. And uh, it, yeah, I got informed while I was hunting in Kansas that uh, uh, I no longer had a job, but I was you know going to get some severance, whatever that meant. I'm like, okay, good. I hunted the rest of the week out; it was fine, didn't really matter. But that's kind of leads to the next stop on on uh, on the the Gary train, which was, um, I don't know, you tell me, Gary. How did so? You guys were looking for talent, because you were, you know, we were growing back then, you were growing back then, the agency you yeah. were at was growing.
0: Yeah, so um, I had merged two companies together while I was at another bank, Bank of America, <laughs> um, and these two guys that I had consulted with and coached, actually, separately, I introduced, they say, why don't you come in and be uh, a third partner, and at that point, I'm like, "No, I've been there, done that, and had been, you know, had the T-shirt from, you know, partners in proprieties before." <laughs> and I'm like, no, now I'm not doing that." Well, then a couple of years later, after I was running bizjournals.com, they came back, and we had sold part of it to um, Microsoft, and they said, "Hey, if you come back, um, we'll give you a third of the company. You be the president, etc." So that was what was going on. And we were doing a lot of cool work. We had very high end creative firepower. <clears throat> one of my uh, partners was also from Ohio. That's right. One of the, well, actually both of those partners were from Ohio. <laughs> one was from Cincinnati and one was. <laughs> we don't from... claim the one. <laughs> yeah. It's like, Oh wow. What is this thing with Ohio? I don't know. Um, and again, I hadn't ever been there before, but um, so Uh, One of them was uh, from Maslin, Ohio, was named one of the top 50 creatives in the country. And so really, really good. Well, when Brian came to us and was interviewing, he he said he was interested in the account service. We didn't have any more openings on the creative side, but we needed some more help on the account service side. And that was um, something new to him. But you know, I could tell he had fire in the belly. I liked him. And it was wasn't just because I liked him, but it, he had fire in the belly. But here was what's an interesting thing. So any entrepreneurs out there that are hiring talent, this was this was a big aha moment for us and for me and my partners. Brian had indicated that he was interested in being an entrepreneur at some point and running his own company. Well, that was a red flag for one of my partners. He was like, no, you know, do not proceed any further. And I'm like, wait a minute. This guy is not an indentured servant to us. You know, like he's not our property. Let's, you know, we need that talent. You know, even if it's for a shorter period of time, let's let's go for it. And I, you know, we had to basically not necessarily, not literally arm wrestle for it, but we, we went back and forth on it. <clears throat> and we ended up hiring Brian. Well, that was one of the best moves that we had ever done, as far as I was concerned. But I just think, if somebody is, you know, displaying and honest about some entrepreneurial itches, don't discount them just because they may not be with you for thirty years. Um, what's funny is Brian, <laughs> I've hired him into every company and every turnaround that I've done since then. Everyone and i've I've recommended it to clients that I'm coaching and and that I'm on the board of and all kinds of stuff um and we can go into more of some of those things on how he's made that work and being able to serve you know some of the companies that I've run um smaller ones and bigger ones <clears throat> so anyway, that's a little bit more of that background that I thought was important yeah you know so
1: and to be fair just 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 so you know like gary says that they weren't hiring any more creative talent the truth was is back in that day coming out of a bank i didn't have the creative firepower to be hired as a creative at an agency with the level of talent that was there that, there there were uh, that was a collection of highly talented creatives and designers that would have uh, uh, my work and my book wouldn't have looked anywhere in the ballpark of what their uh, work would have but it, what I don't know exactly how Gary decided that account service was going to be okay. I had some history in doing some other jobs as, as well and some 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 build up on a resume where I could do other things. But the truth is, when I went into that interview, and this is something I think is important for some of your listeners, when I went into that interview and in the hiring process, my my brain at that point i was so miserable sitting in that bank for 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 the period of time that i was there and the people i was working for no knock on them they aren't going to listen to this podcast anyways i didn't like them but anyways i just I, I was sitting on like the i forget what floor i was sitting on and i had fantasies where i could just take the guy that was my who i reported to and i and one day uh, i could tell you stories but one day he kind of got in my face and did this little this little um finger wagging thing and I and, and there was an, uh, we were on like the 40th floor or something, and he was wagging his finger at me. And the only thing I had flashed in my mind is, is if I run hard enough, I can push him out that glass window. Like, because I that's how frustrated I was at the point. I was like, he needs to go. I can't take this finger wagging anymore. So when I was interviewing with Gary. um, And this was fresh office. We, I mean, literally, I got back from hunting and I got a uh, call from Gary. And we go to lunch and I, we have kind of an informal interview. And then um, after that, Gary must have decided I wasn't, you know, absolutely off my rocker. And then he brings me in and I interview with the rest of the partners. But um, the thing that I was convinced of when I was interviewing with Gary was, listen, no matter what. I am going to say, I'm not trying to get this job. I am going to say what I think 100%, I'm going to be 100% me. And if that's not enough, or if that doesn't fit, the outcome for that is going to be better for me than trying to plug in to a place like the bank when I interviewed and was forcing myself into this job that was going to take me terrible places mentally. Um, But when I I was interviewed with Gary in the crowd, I was like, listen, I'm just going to say, Exactly how I feel, and I hope that's enough. Um, because, uh, and, and I don't know what they, they took a flyer on it. Obviously, you know, two of the three thought that was okay. One of those guys probably didn't wasn't wasn't down with the flyer, uh, and that was fine. Whatever way it worked out. But uh, yeah, I I I ended up sh- uh, starting before my severance ran out, even <laughs> with with the, with that firm. So uh, uh, I, I'm a big proponent of just saying, you know. Saying what, what you think, being you, I, I don't think you should in interviews or uh, in, in hiring situations should ever try and mask who you really are. Because that in the end, that's a bad, bad end game.
2: So we're going to get into your, your life and business uh, later on in the podcast. But one theme that keeps coming up, especially as I was doing research, is the word free, right? Like you can go do different things. You can explore. You experience life. And what you just talked about there with the, the authenticity of going into an interview and being like, this is who I am, take it or leave it. Was that a yeah. turning point for you? Because it sounds like prior to that, you were trying to fit yourself into a mold that other people wanted you to be in.
1: I think it, it definitely was a turning point. And where um, it got problematic for me is um, when I was working at that bank, uh, I would go home and... and I would be a miserable person. I was taking the the, the misery of not having any self-direction or ability to, to feel like I'm having a positive impact on the business or doing the type of design work I wanted to do or the type of marketing decisions I wanted to do. And, and I was taking that home and just being miserable. I'd show up at home and just be, I'd be angry, miserable, not, you know, not, and when I say angry, I mean, uh, and and uh, never violent or anything like that. Just, just a, a downtrodden dude who just had a, a, a pessimistic outlook on everything. And so um, that was a, was definitely a, a, a. I I flipped the switch when I went to work for that creative firm uh, uh, under Gary's direction. Uh, I flipped a pretty hardcore switch and went, "Listen, we're gonna cut it loose. You're gonna get." 100% Brian all the time. And if you don't like 100% Brian, that's okay. I, I, I mean, and, and and I rarely dial it back for clients, even it just became a thing like that, you know, and, and they wouldn't put me in front of clients that they didn't think couldn't handle what I was going to say, because right. they knew I wasn't gonna, I wasn't gonna dial it back. And most of the time, clients are appreciative of that. And that's, that's really how how we made it, made it work. Um, a lot of agencies and I, you know, and, and this isn't a uh, uh, a lot of agencies are, are they become dependent on uh, a, a small number of big clients to pay a lot of bills. And so they become yes men because they don't want to lose the revenue. Well, the flyer that Gary took on me with the other guys down there, it, it, I didn't care. I, I would go into clients and just say exactly what they needed to hear and and I think it helped the business. I don't think it was a detriment because it just makes those clients respect you more if you actually are honest with them. So yeah, that freedom is certainly a, a recurring theme for a lot of what I do and it yeah. was freeing for me because I was much happier when we were when I was allowed to just get it all out, express what it, exactly what I was thinking.
2: So so you've got that big evolution for yourself there but then also You go into this interview talking about having an entrepreneurial type mindset and things like that, right? To the point where one of the partners was hesitant. So how were you able to to foster that type of mentality while still working for somebody else?
1: Well, I think that they knew. I I had a big gap on, like, there was no way I was jumping ship in, in a year or two years. I had never done account services in the advertising business before. Like I'd never done it, and so you know, and at this point I'm 12 years into a into a quote-unquote career. You know, I've been out of school for a long time. So um, you know, whatever thoughts that they or concerns that they had of me jumping ship, I you know, I can be pointed in a direction, and I think that that's what they what they saw is if you if you uh, well, here's a good Charlotte reference. I'm like a horn's nest. You you shake me up and then point me in a direction and turn me loose, and I'm all in. I can be all in, and, and it's, I mean, there's, it's, it happens across lots of things in my life, but, like, account services, all they had to do was shake me up a little bit, point me in the direction, and I was all in. And so I think that they saw that is like, you know, as, as the entrepreneurial spirit is, listen, I thought we were part of a small team of, of really talented individuals, and I want to be a part of that team. Let's point Brian this way and let him go. And they, that's what they did. So I think that's how we balanced it out.
2: Yeah. So I want to fast forward a little bit as we start to get to to Ultimate Upland. I think this was in 2010. It was forming in your mind and you took a 90 day trip. So I, I want the, the listeners to uh, to hear what that was, because it seems like at least from the research that that was kind of the foundation of where you where you were able to get Ultimate going. So can you describe that trip for us?
1: Yeah, sure thing. So actually the idea, um, uh, started for ultimate upland started around 2008, but it took really a couple years to kind of get pointed in the right direction. I found, I I recognize that there was this gap in information for, um, the regulations and state, uh, hunting regs. Uh, you couldn't find a place online to plan a trip, uh, because you had to go to so many terrible websites and the state, Agency websites were terrible. You couldn't find the information easily, and I was like, "Well," um, and it, about two thousand eight, kind of the same timing. I was running my own, you know, design business at that point. And in two thousand eight, everybody who uh, has a view of history goes, "Well, that was the first um, dump in the market when the housing market just crashed." And everybody, all of my clients, all at one time in two thousand eight, basically said, "Hey, you know what? We're going to cut out right now. We're just going to we're going to sit on our marketing budget." That's the first thing to go. 2008, uh, the the housing crash, the, the stock market crashed. Nobody knows where their next paycheck's coming from. And uh, and all businesses are concerned about what the long-term prognosis is, and they all shut it down. That The first place they look when they're going to try and save money is marketing, which is probably the absolute wrong thing to do, but that's what most of them do. So most of my clients just went, hey, you know those, the, those contracts we got? We're going to put those on hold. You know those jobs we got planned for you? We're going to put those on hold. And so I started going, uh oh, because you know, it's it, I'm not new, but it's kind of one of the beginning years where it starts looking up. And I'm like, well, I, you know, fi- I'm finally getting traction and making a living doing this, you know, in a in a real way. And and then the market takes an absolute dump and and nobody's sure about anything. And all my clients basically go, okay, we don't want we don't want you to go away, but just hang in there and, and we're not gonna pay anything, but just hang in there for a while, all right? And I was like, uh-oh. So that's what I started thinking, you know, I, I got to start doing something for myself here outside of what outside of client work because um I got lots of time and nobody spending anything and that's kind of where the idea for Ultimate Upline and the time uh, for that ninety day trip kind of came up is basically um so I go okay I, I, I've been bird hunting for a while but you know and and doing a couple trips but when you're working and 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 you're working for clients it's tough to get away you're always working um, but. I started going all right there's a there's a gap here that I could fill and it'll fill some personal um, you know I'll, ha- I'll get some personal satisfaction from them. I don't know if it'll ever become a business but it'll give me time it'll give me experience it'll let me design a website at that time I wasn't doing a lot of website design uh, for clients and so it just kind of filled all these little blanks and and but I knew that I was behind this massive learning curve on bird hunting I bird hunted a lot a lot but not enough to what I, to be what I thought was an expert bird hunter. And so I go, okay, got all this time, no client work. Here's what I'm going to do. And so that, that year in 2010, I left the drive with, with my dog at the time. And, and I hunted across seven States for 90 days every day. I camped the entire time too, which which was a challenge as well, but I camped and hunted for 90 days, hunting across seven states, and no matter what the conditions were, whether it was raining, uh, snow, I forced myself to hunt uh, uh, because I wanted to make sure that I knew exactly what it was like to be in those conditions and have some frame of reference, and so I, I basically went um, I, I want to be that outlier, but I need to be that outlier right now. And so those 90 days, I was like, I'm going to put my 10,000 hours in now. Um, and, and I didn't quite get there because it's always, you're always learning in this, but that's kind of what I, what was in my head is if I'm going to be this guy, if I'm going to be the guy that provides um, information online for bird hunters, and then I got to make sure that I've got all those bases covered. Uh, that was a crazy trip. Um, and I can tell you by the end of it, I was trash. I mean, it just, you, you try, try camping 90 days straight. I want to tell you what, it's brutal. It's, it absolutely brutalizes you. And I don't know what I smelled like, but at that point, I've still had some clients doing client work and I'd go, um, uh, we didn't have hotspots on our cell phones. So um, I'd have to go to libraries. And so I'd be going to these small town libraries and I'd walk into the library. I hadn't showered in weeks. You know, I'd, just, I'd, get, I'd get an occasional shower every now and then um, but I'd walk into a library and you could kind of see people just scatter because, you know, I, I had to look like a crazy person, but I, I smelled probably worse than I looked. And so it was always, it was always fun. You're living with, you're living with a dog. I'm living with a dog. You know, the dog's just, you know, you know, always in the tent with me, you know, it just, you know, so it, it was, it was a wild time. Uh, it was fun and I learned a lot, but, uh, yeah, that 90 day trip was, was, uh, kind of a, a pivoting point for me for sure.
0: So I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna backtrack again a little bit but you know so I ended up leaving Axiom Creative Group you stay there the company ends up splitting which is why I end up leaving. Um, the two original partners kind of took their own things. you stayed with one of the partners but you ended up launching cut bait creative on your own you'd been doing some stuff on the side anyway and that was fine with us but then you ended up going full-time into that you know design marketing etc but I think it's interesting that you even named it cut bait creative like there was this outdoors theme that you just couldn't shake right and so that you know kept you going. Then you hit this inflection point where you've got the 90-day window because everybody's cut all their marketing budgets. But what I want the listeners to know is as he was launching Ultimate Upland um, and he told me about it, I mean, you told me about it when I was still at, at InvestLink, you know, right? You were doing all of our work. So I counted it up. And from Axiom until today, you've worked with six of my companies <laughs> that I've either done turnarounds on or whatever. And, and I remember when I was at Integral, um, you were doing a bunch of rebranding stuff for us as well as some really beautiful um, high-end stuff for us. And I'm calling you and you're at 10,000 feet hunting Himalayan gamecock with a satellite phone so that you've got reception <laughs> to do my adobe files. <laughs> and so I just think that's that's amazing um that you've been able to kind of you know it wasn't a lot of people have this this thought that oh well I'm going to go do this and then you know burn the boats and you know then they they have no income And it's usually not a very good outcome, but you have been able to keep the the doors open by doing your marketing stuff, et cetera, while you're pursuing this passion that you just can't shake. Um, Also, talk to us a little bit about, you know, as you were launching your own website and stuff, you were doing Periscope. I remember you telling me about Periscope. You know, like live video. This is way before Facebook Live. This is before TikTok. Right. And he wasn't doing stupid stuff that you see on on TikTok. He was actually doing stuff that that mattered to people that are in that world of, you know, upland game hunting. Um, talk a little bit about how that marketing background has served you in this passion. And 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 a little bit more of what the business model is like for Upland, you know, Ultimate Upland.
1: Yeah, the there's a lot of crossover. Um, I'm trying to think about kind of how it all pieces together. But really, what I've always looked at Ultimate Upland as is a test arena for client work on the opposite side of uh, where I was working with Cutbait Creative. Um, you know, and and doing client work. So when I was working on social media for Ultimate Upland, I was able to see in a very broad scale what the things I was doing in in that arena, how they could translate to a client's uh, efforts in social media, or what I was doing online in Ultimate Upland with the very broad site at this point, but how that translates into what client work could translate into. So- yeah, I've kind of always looked at Ultimate Upland as that, um, as a test thing. And, and, you know, it's always, Ultimate Uplands over the years has grown from, at first it was 15% of my time. Uh, I, you know, 85% of my time I was doing cut bait creative marketing work for clients. And 15% of my time was Ultimate Upland. And as the years have gone, um, it's swayed the other direction. So now I'm not quite at 8515, 15 but um, I'd say that the bulk of my time now is spent doing ultimate upland stuff. And now I'll still take on client work um, it, for friends, uh, for people who know me, who know my style, who I don't have to go in and, um, and, and uh, explain that, uh, who I am and, and how we're going to do it. People that contact me now to do design work They basically have worked with me in the past and they go, Hey, can you, can you do this again? Because we like the way it worked before. And I, and, and so that's kind of um, the the design portion. That's how I meant, but the business model for ultimate upline still, it's, it's a, it's a moving, it's a moving thing. I'm not even sure, you know, frankly, when people ask me about the business model and revenue um, you know, I basically tell people it's the, best way to go broke over a long period of time and and that gets that raises eyebrows and, and honestly that's what you know that's the way i look at it is i'm not sure that it's a viable um uh uh it's a viable revenue model as in you know uh, getting sponsorship dollars which are very hard to come by in the outdoor space um and upland hunting uh not that you guys need to be aware of all this but it's like a shrinking you know the, uh, hunters are now less than 5% of the United States. There's 11.5 million hunters. Bird hunters on that are maybe 900,000 um, people. And it's not growing. It's shrinking. So uh, it's it's I'm not entering this space uh, uh, of expansion. The pie isn't growing. It's shrinking. So I like the uh, idea of... Um, and the way I'm kind of going now and the mode I'm kind of in now is expanding what ultimate upland is. It's not just about bird hunting. Most people don't even know what the word upland is, quite frankly. Um, but it's, it, uh, it's an adventure brand. I, I'm, I'm trending toward adventure um, uh, because if you look at Google Trends for, for topics, you could pull up bird hunting or pheasant hunting or whatever on Google Trends and you'll see it. And then you put the comparison of camping you know, uh, and and, and Google Trends, and you'll see that the the camping line is like this and you can't even see the little bird hunting spec down there. So um, I'm trying to translate out uh, the lessons I've learned in bird hunting uh, via Ultimate Upland into a broader brand of uh, adventure. The things that I do that are still part of uh, my bird hunting, but but broaden it out to a, a bigger audience. Um, and so the business model really is, um, and you guys see it because you're podcasting, you know, the top 1% of people on, in podcasting world can make a living. Um, there's 99% of the other people out there that can't. Um, right. It's the same way. Uh, so for us on, you know, for YouTube, you know, is a, is a good avenue, but again, it's, 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 it's a, it's a tough grow. Um, so I don't know the, the, the business model, like I said, yeah, let's just uh, see how slowly we can hang, we can go broke, trying to turn this into a viable revenue model, but having s- uh, some of the most enriching experiences I could ever have. Um, if I'm going to go broke, I want to do it outside with my dogs.
2: So is that where the, the Way Upland series came from, of the idea of starting to create content around... Adventure and experiences, not just specifically bird hunting?
1: Yeah, that was, um, that's exactly where it came from. And it's, and it goes back to this idea of uh, I wanted, I, I wanted to change the way people were thinking about bird hunting. Um, because the, the original idea for Way Upland, I was hunting with the dogs in a national forest in Colorado. And for those of you that don't know, national forests are are uh, managed for multi-use, which means that hikers, bikers, campers, hunters—they can all use national forest land. It's a it's a multi-use versus a national park, which is a preservationist. You can't hunt in a national park, uh, um, but in national forests, they're they're managed for mixed use, which means that they try and manage it to for the best for the most good of the most people is how 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 they term it in in, in the forest service. So I was hunting um in Colorado and I was walking a trail um with the with the dogs uh hunting for forest grouse blue grouse specifically and a guy was coming the opposite direction and um obviously my dogs are off leash and he's got a uh I think it was a I I say it's a corgi in the story I write I say it's a corgi but I'm not uh, it's one of the it's a punt. it's a small dog like you know smaller than a loaf of bread and he's got it on a leash and and uh a practice i've always done when i when i come across other people especially in national forest gets mixed use is when i come across other people i generally call the dog my dogs to heal so they're even though they're off leash they're generally right there with me and i and i break open the shotguns so that i look as uh, you know uh, as as safe as possible and generally just try and allow people to go about their business and i go about my business and we get some distance between them and then i'll go back to hunting well this guy found s- s- decided that he was going to tell me uh, when i met him on this trail that you aren't allowed to hunt here and besides that his corgi or whatever it was was trying to rip the face off of my lap literally was going at it like this dog is about this big and, and he's sitting there and he's, he's basically chastising me because i'm out here hunting in national forest land that he said that he has in his mind gone hey you can't hunt here and so he i go well sir and I try to explain to him, I'm pretty well informed on most of these National Forest pieces. And so I try to explain to him, you know, this is managed for mixed use. And he's like, no. And I'm going to tell you what, the ranger, and this is him saying it specifically, I can remember it. The, I live right next to the ranger. And when I get off this trail, I'm driving straight to his house and I'm going to report you. I said, okay. I said, I, I, have a nice day. And I go about my business. I, I, I get clear of this guy and it grinds on me it really grinds on me like it, it it bugs me like very badly that this guy that i've let this guy get away with this misconception uh, and 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 you know it's one of those times where um everybody has these times where they go they wish they would have said things and and that idea played over in my head again and again. I wish I would have said this to this guy, or I wish I would have gone, walked with that guy right out to the trail, right to his car, going down to the ranger's house and watched that ranger tell him, no, sir, th- this th- this is managed for mixed use. But I never had the opportunity to, to say those things to that guy because I just wanted to get away from him and go about what I was thinking. And so, um, you know, go about hunting. I just didn't want, I didn't want to deal with him at that point, but it bugged me from that point on. So, at the end of that season it was still grinding on me literally it just hung with me it just hung over me and I was like okay next year I got to figure out what I can do to start changing these misconceptions um and and it goes back to this changing the way people think about hunting you know that's the, the, the we we'll go back to the very start of this conversation about I wanted to change the way people think about bird hunting and so I I, I started a plan back then that was three years ago that listen what basically what I was going to do is I was going to take my shotgun and my dogs to places where people generally don't see them but I am absolutely allowed to hunt and so that plan kind of formulated and I wanted to go right back to Colorado honestly you know the truth is I wanted to run into this guy again I never knew it would the possibility would be you know super small but I started looking at that going okay well if i'm going to go to places where there's going to be lots of people but um, they're not used to seeing hunters um, the these 14ers 14,000 foot peaks is like this great challenge um, uh, where you know i could go hike these peaks to the summit with my dogs there's going to be people there nobody hunts there because you'd be insane to do that and 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 so that and so i mapped out 32 of the there's 50 some 14,000 foot peaks in Colorado. And I was like, okay, I think I can get to the top of 30 some. And so that was kind of the plan for that. And I didn't know the name of it at that point. I just thought I was going to do something wild. Like I just wanted to go, you know, I just wanted to present myself with an opportunity to be in front of people who aren't used to seeing hunters and bird dogs, running free on national forest land and and have conversations with these folks and i knew that there was a very small chance of me ever shooting a bird but i was doing what was legal and 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 i wanted to make start changing the way people thought about bird hunters and hunting in general and so the, the first peak i did that season um, i was with jennifer my wife and there was a traffic, it was a weekend, there was a traffic jam to get to the trailhead. When we showed up there, there was probably 200 cars at this trailhead to do this 14,000 foot peak, which is pretty close into Denver. And so we showed up, there's 200 cars in the parking lot already in front of us. And I unload the bird dogs and unload the shotgun. And I don't think anybody, it's not a peak you would go hunting on. It's just not you nobody would do that because your chances of shooting birds were just this minuscule chance but i wanted to make sure that when i got out in that parking lot with that shotgun that um that everybody saw that this was perfectly legal and i passed i mean on that day we we i talked to probably 300 people i've never had that kind of outreach Um, ever, you know, I'd been doing ultimate upland for 10 years at that point, or close to 10 years at that point, eight or nine years, I guess. And and I'd never had the amount of outreach that I had on that day, where I, I literally came in contact and talked to 300 people. And, uh, and, and, and I think that probably changed some opinions on what a hunter is. Um, And bird dogs are the best outreach tool there is, by the way, a dog, you put a dog, a nice dog in front of people who, first of all, don't really like the fact that you're carrying a gun on the trail where there's, you know, 300 people hiking up this mountain. You put a dog out in front of them and they're like, oh, and then they see you and they're like, oh. But then you get a little conversation in there and they're like, oh, that's cool. I'm like, yeah. And what do you, oh, the biggest question I always get, what do you do with those birds? Everybody thinks like, what, what do you mean? What? I mean, it's a crazy question to me, but like people think that you don't eat those birds. It's, the, it's still the wildest question I get is what do you do with those birds? Like, <laughs> I, I I know that eating wild game is most uh, part of a lot of people's lexicon these days, but it's it's, it's a big part of what we do. So yeah, I, um, but that's where it kind of started. Is that way upland series started with that idea and that little corgi that tried to rip my dog's face off and a misinformed old man. Um, and it kind of spawned this whole thing where I go, okay, now uh, that year, you know, I ended up hiking. Even though I had 32 mapped out, that wasn't possible, uh, humanly possible. That's all big workout tasks. You got to be in the best shape of your life to climb those mountains. I climbed a bunch of them. I summited 15, attempted 19. So four of them we never got to the top of. But out of 32 that I thought we possibly could get to, and that was in uh, a months' time. So that um, was pretty, pretty good, pretty good uh, walk away. But then after that, people started going, "Well, how?" I think they were became interested in how I'm going to try and kill myself and follow them here. Cause literally you see, if you watch that series, you'll see me, um, I, I, the descent to insanity and literally exhaustion is coming hard. I have probably got, I, I've got some level of, of pneumonia by the end of it. I I'd had hypoxia, you know, for a while. I mean, you can't, but above 10,000 feet, you know, it, it, eventually, you know, if you're not used to that, it sets in. And when you're, physical exertion sets in over the course of that time. It, it, it wears you down. I was covered recovering from that trip for a long time, but I think I, I found out that people really wanted to see me try and kill myself. And I'm like, all right, we'll go, we'll go with that <laughs> for a while.
2: Yeah. So for listeners that want to check that out on it's on YouTube <clears throat> and you can just search ultimate upland or you can go to ultimateupland.com, and, and it's, it's up there too. Um, season two finished. You released the last one end of August. I think it was 10 episodes. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think it's ten. It, it might be thirteen. Although I, I, um, some of those episodes are lesser viewed. So last year's last year, the way I decided I was going to try and um, well, I was going to intrigue people is I went um, solo bike trip across the, the Little Missouri National Grassland, 160 miles of of bike trail that goes through the um, uh, or goes around the Theodore Roosevelt National Park, which you can't bike through so you have to kind of go around it but yeah that was an overland bike trip with the dogs um which which was fun and has its own had its own set of challenges but yeah now and and now and now now I feel like this I, I always feel like I have to try and outdo myself um I don't know that I can I mean there's uh, at some point, I, I mean, I'm, I'm getting up there in years, man. So it's a, uh, uh, the, the, the physical tests are, 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 challenging. And this year I, I, I completed the, this year's, um, I, I uh, <laughs> way up Let's I haven't really told a lot of people what I did because it's still in the works and the post-production is gone, but there's a wild trip, probably the closest I have come to killing myself. Um, not, in, you know, not intentionally, not suiciding myself, but literally it was one of the, some of the most dangerous stuff we've done, um, uh, on on this season which is in production now so i don't know when we'll release it
2: so we'll, we'll get to see that experience on season three
1: yeah uh it's it's a it's a wild one um uh How about and, that for a teaser yeah yeah i uh, yeah, just, just, i, I and that's the thing is i keep going when should i release it because um, as you guys know, uh, you know some of your podcast stuff, and you, uh, Gary, you do some releases on YouTube. Uh, but your release dates are always kind of important. And so, uh, right now, we're on the the time it takes me to produce the post production. We're kind of in the hunting season. Everybody's kind of on the on the downside. You know, they're on. You know, uh, our peak is early fall, and then you know, kind of the that, that viewership kind of goes and and, and winds down towards the end of winter nobody wants to be out in the cold so me releasing it now is almost senseless, senseless so I probably won't release it till early fall next year even though I thought about trying to get it out earlier just because there's so much in there and I want to talk about it and I want it to to be fresh in my mind but the other thing that I that I've learned and I and, and you've seen I've written some articles as well but these articles I'm not I'm a, I'm a writer but I'm not a natural writer and so the ideas form over a long period of time I basically will take notes on an article for weeks before it forms enough in my head to where I can go, all right, I can get this down. And then I'll write a draft and then I go back and I read the draft and I hate it. And so there's a lot of editing involved. So the time it takes to actually for between the trip and when I, when I actually produce stuff out of it generally, and I've got an article coming out as well. Um, But yeah, it, it's just a, I'm, I'm not a fast guy in terms of writing, but I think it's important. The, um, you know, kind of lessons learned and the stuff I share, uh, uh, it goes straight back to this idea that I just don't, I don't want, if I were just writing an article or doing a video where you just see me killing birds, I don't find that interesting. I don't find it fulfilling, interesting. The weird part is, is if you look at the YouTube stats on the best performing videos, it's those are the things that actually get the most views, but I want to change that narrative. So I'll just trudge along, uh, because I want that narrative to change.
0: So your, your story, you and your story are fascinating, Brian. Maybe that's why I wanted to hire you 21 years ago. I don't know, but, but I, I do, I, I did see talent and I did see drive and, um, and you either have it or you don't. Especially on you know coming with batteries, where you said, you know you're like a hornet's nest. Shake you up and you're all in, and and that's what I've experienced, and that's why I like dragging you into every company I've been at um, because I know what I'm going to get. But um, in today's age, like a, a couple of years ago, I was on a p- panel with a bunch of influencers, and I was definitely the oldest one, and I was. You know, um, among people that were TikTok stars that were making literally like a million dollars a year doing embarrassing things. Like, you know, I won't call them out, but <laughs> I'd be embarrassed <laughs> to have my name associated with any of the stuff that they do. But yet, hey, they're making a million bucks. But what I like about your story is you, you, you've got a passion of adventure but also to dispel myths and preconceptions and misnomers, I guess, about hunting, about stuff that you're really passionate about. And so you haven't been chasing the dollar, you've been chasing your passion, and yet you've been making a dollar by with your marketing prowess as well, but also in monetizing some of this, but it's been not... In chasing the dollar, the dollars will eventually come and they have to a certain degree. So you've, you've described this very narrow niche, very, very narrow niche in how small and even a diminishing audience, if you, you want to just focus on upland game hunters, talk about how you've been able to attract sponsors and still be true to who you are, because it's very clear you ain't compromising who you are. And that's what I like about you. You, you are what you are. You are who you are. Um, talk to us about how, what that journey has been like.
1: So that that's a tough one. And I'm actually thinking about it. And I've changed the way I thought about it. And here's why. Um, in the outdoor space, if you, um, if you pick up any magazine and they have a, a, uh, Top ten tents to use in the backcountry this year. Well, the one commonality between all of those tent makers, or at least the top five, is those tent makers happen to advertise in that publication. That's just the truth, and I found this out from going to outdoor retailer show and also to go on to Shot Show, which is the biggest uh, firearms and and hunting show in the, in the country is that the advertising dollars control the narrative in print media. And I can tell you based on, you know, on, on getting sponsors and, and trying to retain those sponsors is they don't like to hear bad news or they don't, you know, they, they, they want the product associated with positive vibes all the time. And so I've gone away from this traditional model in the magazine and publication business, even online where you sell ads directly um, because I don't want to be tied to that. Um, I, I have to be able to have freedom of speech and not ever feel like I'm pulling punches on what the product is or how it's used or how good it is or how bad it is. Now I, I used to seek out actively seek out sponsors but now you know the good thing about the way um, uh, YouTube works, or even a Google Ads works, is I have no direct contact with those advertisers. That's, that's funneled straight through Google. So I'm not responsible for what shows up on, in those ads. And that allows me the freedom to go, okay, if you've made a product, we do a lot of product testing videos on, on YouTube as well. You'll see us do product testing videos, me and my, and my guys who... Uh, I've got a good core group of folks around me who who participate in what we're doing, and that seems to be growing. But we we do a lot of product review and 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 uh, test stuff in the field, and so we're never we're never uh, required to uh, to pull any punches. We just let it fly, and so that level of of uh, uh, honesty and and this space is hard to find. Most people don't realize that that's going on, but I can assure you that's going on in print publications. Um, I just uh, I know the business now. I know I know how it works. So I go, I'm running away from it, and it's, it, it poses a challenge revenue wise. It certainly poses a challenge. Um, but I, what I I never went into this going ultimate up one was never launched. The intent, intent wasn't for me to be a hunting personality. It was never that, and that wasn't the intent. But that's what that's what's, what the market wants. They don't, they don't want just dry information. They don't, you know, they don't want a website, even now websites, although the website gets tons of traffic, but the truth is is the bulk of people aren't consuming written word. They're consuming, consuming spoken word more, especially video content for me. But um, so I never, I didn't go into this going, I'm going to be the guy, the face of this, this brand. This is just going to be a brand, but then somehow over the course of 10 years of doing it now I'm, you know, now I'm the guy climbing mountains and, you know, taking video of himself, doing absolutely insane things, um, and trying to find a way to, you know, eke out a living doing it. Um, but yeah, I, I don't, you know, the direct sponsorship model, I, I have a hard time with it because of the, of the conflict of interest or the appearance of conflict of interest. And I, and just knowing how other, um, publications work, um, got editor friends. I know how things work in the business. I just don't want to play by that game. So again, I'm just not going to, even at the detriment of financial, I'd rather, I, even in my own detriment financially, I'd rather just go, okay, I'm not going to play that game. I'll just, I'll just keep going down this path. I'm just going to keep going. I'm just going to, I'm just going to point, I'm just going to keep going. Um, I'm just going to do do it the way I want to do it. And maybe one day a uh, mountain lion will snap my neck and that'll be the end of it, or I'll break through and, you know, we'll and we'll, and we'll, we'll, we'll you know find a way to make make the big bucks.
2: So I want to. That's one of the
1: reasons. Go ahead. <clears throat> go ahead.
2: No, I I wanted to ask a piece because I think something Gary and I have seen a lot, especially since the uh, the pandemic began. Right? Is people working remote, and you, you had alluded to it earlier with the uh, with Google searches of things like camping, adventure. Um, even stuff like farming, things like that are getting more and more popular and common, right? People are interested in that concept at least because it's the first time they've had some sort of freedom in their life to even be able to do that. Yeah. And yet you've been living this way for a very long time. So what would be some some guidance or advice that you'd give listeners that that are interested in something in that world, whether it's adventure or nature or whatever, um, from somebody like yourself that's been doing this for a long time and has created a company, to allow you to live that lifestyle?
1: Yeah, I mean, um, I think that it's easy for people to get in their own way. Um, the outdoors is, it's it's there. And so it's it's really easy for people to, you know, watch a video of how somebody else does it or how you're supposed to be doing it or read an article about how you're supposed to be doing it. And then like, think that they have to plug in that way and I think that it's just you know, there's lots of ways to enjoy the outdoors, whether that's bird watching or or hiking or and 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 I, I just I'm always fascinated by there's this kind of regimented idea in people's minds of how we're how how we're supposed to do this. Hey, the way you're supposed to do it is you know strap on some shoes and walk outside, and 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 if you like what you get to you know, in the first five mile hike you do, then the next time, let's let's take it in steps let's go eight miles and and then and then if you liked that still then maybe you should try it overnight well what goes into an overnight hike well you start thinking about it um I I came up um and it's easier for I know it's 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 easier it sounds easy for me to to tell you these things and it's hard for me to separate kind of my upbringing but I was I I grew up as a cub scout and made it all the way to eagle scout so I've been doing this all my life and so that kind of the survival skills that that now take me to the places that I'm that that you see me um those have been ingrained in me a long time but I think it always starts out as I mean if I if I think back to Cub Scouts you know we just took our first overnight trip you know that was the first camping experience you know you're gonna go and you're gonna be away from mom and dad for a night and can you hack you know and and did you like it well you know I was doing it with one of my good friends Danny Sage um and uh and and we loved, it. you know, we, and then, and so that first overnight trip, you know, then, then that went, we went to Boy Scout camp after that, and we'd spend a week together, you know, didn't take a shower the entire time, Just wore the same clothes the entire time, um, but, you know, so I think it's, it's those steps. You go, okay, well, you, you don't, don't go, um, the caution would be is don't go, hey, I'm going to go all in, I'm going to buy $3,000 worth of gear, and think that I'm going to go hike 32 14ers because i've seen brian try and kill himself on you know fourteen thousand foot peaks because i can tell you on that first one you're going to go there's probably this probably isn't a good idea and that three thousand dollar investment you put in your gear is probably just going to be a waste go go in baby steps go okay well what is it i like about the outdoors whether that's seeing wildlife or um or just being on trails or being alone and then and then go okay if you like being alone then you know that then, then, then there's categories of stuff you can do outdoors where you get away from people and you know, and, and, uh, a good, uh, GPS is always good. Your phones, you always got one in your hand, but, um, yeah, I think that this uh, baby steps is a big key for outdoor stuff. If you're new to it.
2: Yeah, I like it. And Gary, I, I had interrupted you before. So, so what's, uh, what's on your mind?
1: No, I
0: interrupted you, man, but thanks for being so gracious, <laughs> but, uh, um, here's something that I think is extremely refreshing and liberating for anybody listening whether you're an entrepreneur or not whether you want to be or not but if you're breathing I think this applies and that is understanding like what makes you come alive and being true to that is really important and 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 like driving a stake in the ground, even if it if it costs you something, to but to remain true to that, because you know Brian, <laughs> your description of wanting to push that guy out the window or out, off the 40th floor of the tower that I know that you were in, um, <clears throat> that's a very tough and frustrating place. And I think this whole last two years of COVID has brought out, well, wait a minute, why am I doing this? The other thing that I think is really important is a lot of, I see a lot of people chase money and it, it leaves an emptiness. And I I see them, you know, play the game because that's the way the game's played. Well, I have to, you know, sponsor this crappy product or whatever, because you know, they're paying the bills or whatever, you've chosen not to do that. And, and, you know, it's been true to how you sold for us, but how you've interacted with every um, client I brought you into where we knew that we would get the truth. We, you know, it wasn't like the emperor has no clothes, but man, those are some beautiful clothes that you see in a lot of marketing companies, quite frankly, and a lot of other companies or media that they're, they're pandering for the dollar. And uh, yeah, you know, if, if that's all you're chasing, okay. You know, you'll kind of get what you, you're, you're chasing, but there's more to it. And, uh, you know, if, if, if you can't hear it in Brian's voice, uh, rewind the, 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 you know, the tape, if you will, <laughs> rewind, rewind the, the, the digital here and, and listen for his passion. He's alive, man. I mean, he's alive. And, um, you know, and he and his wife, Jennifer, have a cool place in Brecksville, Ohio. It's a beautiful part of the Emerald Necklace is 100 miles of, you know, um, of nature, really, you know, around Cleveland, which is probably the the coolest thing as as far as I'm concerned about Cleveland uh, in my 13 winters up there. Um, but <laughs> so anyway, and it is kind of funny because Brian was living in Charlotte up until right before we moved back to Charlotte after our thirteen winters. Then they decided that they needed Cleveland, <laughs> so they moved. We lived in the same town for about two months, I think. Again, yeah. something like that. Pass one another. So anyway, I mean Brian. Um, thank you for, for being uniquely you. Um, That's, I'm so glad you're on the anything but typical podcast because you are anything but typical. And um, you know, there are a lot of interesting takeaways from this one um, as far as I'm concerned and you, you know, launching these things and doing these things that nobody else has done. And what's also interesting to me is you didn't seek out to be the next bear, bear grills, you know, like that was not what you, you were, you've never really sought the the limelight ever since I've known you. But the fact that you do these things that are in your heart that are unusual and fun and with purpose, um, a spotlight wants to find you. And I hope other people will find you because of this.
1: Yeah, I think that that uh, uh, you know part of all that is you know you can look at yourself in the mirror on that one, Gary, is because you helped bring it out in me. You know, uh, but when when I was working for you, you never shied away from it. You like, you leaned into it. You said, "Okay, let's just do it. Let's let's go." And um, I think that that was uh, uh, a huge eye opener for me. But you know, across all these things, whether it's bird hunting or design or anything, the thing that I really like and and that you've kind of pointed out is i just strip it I, I never plug in a solution i don't go okay here's what's worked in the past that does, that's a disservice to clients and it's a disservice to bird hunting quite frankly i don't care what's worked in the past and i for clients and so the best way to get the best outcome and i won't drag this out but i just strip it down to nothing. What, what what are we trying to do here? Let me listen to you in the marking field, or let me listen to myself and, 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 and bird hunting, and just let's strip it down to absolutely nothing. Take away all the preconceived notions and just go, Hey, how do we, how do we get the best out of whatever it is we're trying to accomplish? How do we get, how do we do that? And then that changes things. And it's really hard to strip it down to nothing. I can tell you because we're, we're habitual uh, humans are habitual creatures and it's very difficult to strip yourself down to nothing, to a zero, a zero, a starting point of zero, and go. Let's get a good outcome out of this. It's hard for people to do, but that's what I kind of, that's what I, I see myself doing over and over again. Is I just drop it down to nothing and go. Okay, what is bird hunting, or what? It, you know, what are we? Gonna, when when a client lays out, here's the, here, and the designer, you'll love this, Gary, because you seen me do it before in meetings. Where we'll go in and the client has an idea. They go, Well, we need a brochure, and you know, it needs to be this, and we need a website. And you let them talk for a few few minutes, and then you go, but what's the goal? You say you need a you you need a brochure and you need a website, but let's but but so so, because they're ready to here, here's my money, take it and go do this, and you just go, you back it out. And, you know, and and the other partner in that business, the one I ended up working for after you left, he hated that because I'd basically be taking money out of his hands for a temporary point in time where I'd go, no, we're not going to do a brochure. No, we're not going to do a website. We're going to do we're going to figure out what the best solution is for what what it is we're trying to accomplish. And we're going to go from there. And, and, And it would be the no, that's what we do. So it's a, it's a disconcerting place for some people, but it's a place I live in. Um, you know, that, that, uh, the, I just don't accept any definition. So that's kind of, uh, yeah, if it, I don't know what ties marketing and design and bird hunting and ultimate upland all together. But if I look at what ties, my, my general theme is I just go in and I don't know, light, light, light fuse and see what happens.
0: You are a disruptor of ideas. And I like the way that you, you know, when you said that, that was the first time I actually heard that from you. I'm like, yeah, that kind of fits, you know, but you're not a disruptor for disruptive sake. There's a purpose and a meaning behind it. And so I appreciate that, man. Thank you so much for uh, carving out some time, uh, you know, away from, it's probably cold up there
1: in Cleveland today, I would imagine. Yeah, got a little bit of snow on the ground. Hasn't been too bad this year. I haven't haven't shoveled once, Gary. I mean, uh, can you believe that?
0: No, I can't. But you also live down in Brecksville, and it's not Chagrin Falls.
1: (laughs) You used to spend half your winters doing nothing but shoveling. I know. (laughs) Uh,
0: So,
2: Brian, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, Listeners, I had mentioned earlier, go to – <clears throat> Sorry, go to ultimateupland.com and, and also subscribe to their YouTube channel and on their websites, the links to their uh, Instagram and other social media platforms. So make sure you check all that stuff out uh, or out, and, and give Brian a uh, a follow. You can see what what season three is in store.
1: That's right. Yeah. Ultimate Upland all the time. And when we're not Ultimate Upland. We're Cup A Creative all the time. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Perfect. Well, we appreciate it, Brian. Thanks so much for sharing.
1: Thanks guys. Thank you.